fraction of a kilometer away, but five thousand light-years from the sun whose light had nourished the earliest years of her own life, as it had long ago those of the whole race of Earth-descended humans. The rotation of the planetoid beneath her feet was swift enough to set the stars and other celestial objects in visible motion, rising in an endless, stately progression from beyond that jagged line. Months ago she'd learned that she need only stare for a little while at that perpetually sinking horizon to induce a feeling that the world was somehow giving way beneath her. The whole cycle of rotation was several minutes long, and during various segments of that great circle the light of the distant galaxies predominated. Looking out as it did over the landing field, the commander's office window offered a view of several robotic interstellar couriers, poised for quick launching. Each was sighted in its own revetment, widely spaced along the near side of the artificially flattened surface that served the base as landing field. Half a kilometer away, on the far side of that field, set into a naturally vertical wall of rock, were the hangar doors through which arriving vessels were admitted to the interior docks and berths that had been carved out of the rock into several subterranean levels of hangar space. The Witch of Endor was going to touch down a couple of hundred meters from those doors, the first unscheduled visitor to land on or even approach this planetoid in more than a year. The ship's sole occupant, before the Space Force had come aboard, the man identifying himself as the ship's owner, Harry Silver, had made no objection to being boarded, but rather had been relieved to hand over the controls. Two days ago, or even yesterday, Commander Normandy would not have been made quite so edgy by an unforeseen arrival but today she had been eagerly expecting quite a different set of visitors, vitally important ones, and they were already almost two hours overdue. Any suggestion that the day's schedule of events was going to be disrupted was most unwelcome. In fact, she was anticipating at every moment another signal from the robot pickets of her early warning array, giving notice of the arrival, in system, of a task force of attack ships. If everything was going according to schedule, those six Space Force vessels, three light cruisers and three destroyers, should have been dispatched two standard days ago from Port Diamond, a thousand light-years distant. It made no sense, of course, for her to be gazing with naked eyes toward the stars in that direction as if it might be possible to see the approach of the task force. But time and again she caught herself doing just that. Commander Normandy's second-in-command was a diligent lieutenant colonel named Kodark, but her adjutant was an optelectronic artifact, a computer program, sometimes classified as an expert system, known as Sadie. Sadie's usual holostage persona had a vague, but no more than vague, resemblance to the commander herself. At the moment Sadie's head was visible inside the larger office holostage, looking out with a certain expectancy on her pleasant virtual features, as if she could be curious as to why the old lady should be somewhat on edge today and should stand gazing out the window at nothing much at all. In fact, no one else on Hyperborea besides the base commander, not even virtual Sadie of unquestionable loyalty, knew that the task force was scheduled to arrive. Three light cruisers and three destroyers ought to create quite a stir among her people when they showed up, and that would be time enough for an announcement. The transparency through which Commander Normandy stared at the universe was an extraordinary window, even for a port in space. It had been formed of stack glass, ten centimeters thick with protective elaborations. And what it showed her was no ordinary view. What she saw, 
in concrete, mundane terms, was the above-ground portion, which was less than half the whole, of a human outpost, set in rather spectacular surroundings on a minor planet in orbit around a brown dwarf, which in turn was only the junior member of a binary star. The dwarf, not quite big enough or hot enough to be a real sun, had in the commander's view the apparent size of Earth's moon as seen from the surface of the cradle world. Its light, dull red, dim, and often depressing, came in some of the station windows, whenever, as now, anyone wanted to look at it. Generally, the majority of the four dozen or so people on station preferred virtual scenery. Green hills, tall trees, blue sky, and shining water, easily generated on screen and hollow stage, when they wanted any at all. For the past month, most of them had been too busy with their jobs to give much thought to the aesthetics of their environment. Few of the jobs on this base were routine.